Hello and welcome to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, the founder and director of Liminal, Louise Fitzjohn. podcast is an opportunity to speak to the contemporary artists I'm exhibiting in my Margate-based art gallery. With an exciting program of solo and group exhibitions, hosting this podcast is a fantastic way to delve deeper into the artist's practice and to probe their innermost thoughts about their exhibitions. Liminal Gallery was founded in April 2021 and works with contemporary artists currently practicing across the UK and Ireland, showing the incredibly diverse creatives that are based here. I've been working in the art world for over a decade and I'm incredibly passionate about fully supporting the artists that I work with and I spend most of my time trawling through social media to find artworks which blow my socks off. The artists I work with have an approach which I haven't seen before, a unique talent which spans across the mediums. I'm so excited to share these artists with you as we have in-depth conversations exploring the artists' lives and works into what makes them tick and what gets a ticking off. So I hope you'll join me both on this podcast and down in Margate where you can see the exhibitions of these artists in person. I'm delighted to share that the fifth guest on the Liminal Gallery podcast is with contemporary artist Lindsay Jean McLean, whose solo exhibition entitled Oversized Swords, Chains and Gloves opened on the 3rd of December at Liminal Gallery and it continues until the 22nd of December. McLean's work subverts a historically patriarchal medium of oil paint to dismantle and create a new space to view femininity. Her works explore and celebrate sensuality and the experience of touch, the rough and the rigid or the exuberantly soft against vivid pink flesh. The women McLean paints are real, with beautifully rounded silhouettes and a sense of embracing the person you are, rather than trying to fit into society's patriarchal view of what a woman should be. They are unperturbed by judgment, but celebrate their natural form. Female bodies are a political playground and just the act of painting them can be a political statement. Women are told what they can and can't do with their bodies, even in these modern times. With our reproductive rights recently revoked in the US to a woman's right to choice in Iran, women's bodies and existences are not their own. By painting real unabashed women, McLean stands firm against a societal norm and breaks down barriers of prejudice. McLean's works are seductive, sexy, exaggerated and incredibly tactile. The palette she uses creates an enticing, velvet-like effect which adds to the ambiance of the world she encapsulates. They are also emotionally charged, pertinent and honest, speaking of love, loneliness, self-acceptance and relationships. Lindsay Jean McLean studied her BA in painting at Glasgow School of Arts. She is a drawing year graduate from the Royal Drawing School and an MA graduate in painting from the Slade School of Fine Art. Her recent exhibitions include Solo Show at Gallery Wolfson in Denmark, Power of Femininity at Cutlasa Gallery in Switzerland, Veiled Bodies at Lilia Gallery in London, London Grads Now at Saatchi Gallery in London, and of course, her solo exhibition, Oversized Swords, Chains and Gloves, here at Liminal Gallery in Margate. Lindsay G. McLean, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Pleasure. So I'm going to dive straight in. My first question, your works predominantly explore ideas of femininity. What draws you to this concept? It predominantly is about femininity. I suppose the reason that I'm drawn towards it is because I identify with femininity and also because I feel it's something that is still got a lot to like explore around the construct of femininity and especially in image making and image building and so I think that that's something that's already had like a long history of it however I think it's been mostly from a patriarchal viewpoint 
especially in painting. So I think that's why it's still got a lot for me to work with. Mm. There is a long, long lineage of objectification in the portraits of women. So why do you think it's important to subvert the gaze and how do you achieve this in your works? It's such a good question. (laughs) So I think for me is it's because like I come from like quite a classical education in terms of painting. So I've grown up loving the works of Titian and stuff like that. So obviously within that, there is a pictorial displays of femininity or women and it's from a very one point of view it's from possibly more a male perspective of it so then for me I feel that it's about embodying this femininity and taking it from there I think as well like I play around with the gaze and what the viewer can and cannot see and I think that subverts the power dynamic Because generally speaking, when you start to play with that, then the figure themselves has a lot of the power. Whereas traditionally, maybe more the viewer had a lot of the power because I think that's how I play about with it a bit more. Yeah. I totally agree. I think when something is left to the, or somewhere almost left to the imagination in your works, that gives the person painted in your works the power because then they decide what they show and what they don't show yeah it's the more a feeling of like agency for the figure themselves and I think that's quite important within my work and I think that does change the power dynamic a little bit so in an interview you said that your works are like drag and they explore ideas of extreme femininity however I think they're more like burlesque the tantalising conceal and reveal as we were just speaking about, the tactile props like the fans and feather bowers. How do you go about creating suspense across the canvas in this way? Yeah, I can see that definitely there is that feeling of burlesque. And I think that's a lot to do with like kind of theatricality or the exaggerated. Also like definitely a prop. I think that's quite key in thinking about these motifs that reappear and yeah I think there is maybe it is also to do with the objects themselves and the power that they hold that create a kind of suspense because we're used to seeing like fans or feather boas in these kind of settings which are quite theatrical and quite engaging but yeah I feel like for creating the suspense on the canvas it could be something quite technical like composition which sounds pretty boring but like a lot of the time it's um these serpentine kind of forms that I create and that has that kind of movement and fluidity and then generally speaking there's um a soft and a hardness usually meeting and that creates a kind of tension I definitely always want a, a tension so there's something potentially like something being set on fire a lot of the time which is another motif and that creates this kind of suspense and I suppose that's more to do with the imagery as well but yeah I'm constantly trying to figure out how to keep the figure almost in movement and even the objects as well so it's a work in work in progress as well but I think that you definitely do. Your paintings are full of tension and full of the suspense because you don't know what's going to happen next. Are they covering up or are they revealing? And it's this, uh, definitely like burlesque is is what I see when I see a lot of your works, just kind of seductive, teasing Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think as well, it's okay to embrace the seductiveness of, the imagery but also like the seductiveness of oil paint itself because it's a very seductive medium and I think both of them together you know before I might have shied away from it because it's like a bit but I think it's fine I think it's good to have a bit of that <laughs> yeah I'm definitely seeing like more of that as your work progresses which mm-hmm. I'm just loving thank you <laughs> so you've painted inside intimate antique trinket boxes 
what compelled you to paint inside these beautiful pieces? And I'm intrigued to know how they have been displayed and whether they encourage the act of touch. So like how it kind of started originally is that I had just a little compact that I was carrying around and the mirror smashed in it. But I was quite attached to this compact. And then I ended up painting in it like a couple of years later. So that one was more emotional for me. But then I really liked that kind of action of opening up. And it goes back to like concealment and stuff like that. But also it's very like intimate. And it almost feels more carrying icons or something like that. More like a kind of personal object. For me, I'm not a sculptor. I find it very hard to make something sculpturally. Definitely my field is in painting. But I like when painting bleeds into objects and creates a sculpture that way. So more like imposing imagery onto already objects. And there's something so satisfying about like opening up this tiny little thing and then there's a painting in it which is maybe unexpected but also it feels like very personal and very intimate and I I want people to pick them up and hold them obviously but that's not usually what happens in galleries <laughs> you know I feel like that even though it's pressed object this feeling of that I want it to be like everyone can pick it up and touch it because there's something really nice about that it leads on so well from your work your work is mm-hmm. so tactile and it's all about the act of touch and when something soft brushes your skin or when something hard mm-hmm. almost tries to pierce your skin it flows so beautifully to have these beautiful little objects that you can just clip open and there's your work I mean that just it makes so much sense and I love that idea are you still doing them I've been doing a little bit of them yeah I feel like as well for me there's been other objects as well I think the object makes the image so I think I won't necessarily set out but then I'll find the object and then from there becomes the the painting so it's just quite intuitive mm. picking these objects up and then seeing how they can be altered and also in a way <laughs> rendered a bit more useless than what they were originally, which I suppose makes it like an art object. And so is that different? So when you work on your canvases, do you is it more kind of planned? You decide on the size, the image beforehand, whereas with those boxes, you kind of see them and that inspires the work. I wouldn't say my canvases are that planned. I might have like an image in mind. Generally speaking, for me, especially if it's like a bigger painting, I find the image through it. So like I might start with one image and then it might just completely change. It needs to be like open and have that kind of flow for me, which isn't necessarily the best way to work because it's very open when I start <laughs> my my painting. It's more about like colour and texture originally and getting that down. And then from there, the image becomes, it makes more sense. Right. Yeah, I don't do a drawing and then scale it up. Right. That's really interesting. So it's a bit more intuitive. You respond to the marks you're making and let the canvas and the paint dictate where it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that feels much more fluid and expressive. So you seem to approach your canvas with a keen sense of exploration with the paint. Do you experiment with paint and brushstrokes off the canvas first or is it completely by chance and as you are working yeah it's it's as I'm working definitely I mean yeah it is intuitive but there is like certain things that I end up doing so like maybe 
I've made an image, but then the image isn't working. So then like I almost drag some color over the top of it. And that's also a lot of the way that the veils kind of happen as well, because there's that kind of like looking through. So, you know, sometimes I don't know that a veil is going to be in a painting when I start it, mm. but then it might end up with one because it just needed that. It's like, yeah, you don't necessarily know where a painting will end up. Even you don't know where it's going to end up. So you have <laughs> a vague idea, but you're the one that's an actor, yeah. but you're almost letting the paint lead you. Mm-hmm. And there must be definitely like subconscious decisions being made, but it's more like, I, don't, I wouldn't say meditative because I don't meditate, but it's a definite kind of openness and allowing things to happen when I'm painting. I don't feel as precious as well. I think that's something that really helps me because I think you, you have to be able to like destroy the image sometimes to get to the next part of the painting. It's one of the most ridiculous ways of making an image <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> but you must have so much trust in yourself and confidence in your own instinct and subliminal thinking you know that these kind of marks are serendipitous that something beautiful is going to come out of it but that you could I mean that's terrifying that you could just totally destroy the image yeah but you have to trust your own instincts and your hand and the paint yeah I mean I think the thing is that I always tell myself is if you've already managed to like paint it once you can paint it again if you need to go back but generally speaking you never need to because there was a reason why you it wasn't working like it's an an instinctive kind of feeling and do you think that you've built on that confidence that trust for a while has it been something that's in the making for quite some time or have you always just had that no that definitely was built up with time I think uh Definitely at Glasgow School of Art, I was mainly painting just from observation. So that is an anchoring to something. And then within that, I was quite inventive, I suppose. But what I was doing is I was holding on to painting from observation to get to that point where I could just be inventive and play around with the paint. But it definitely took a long time to just let go of that as well yeah that's amazing yeah it's it's quite funny good old art school hey so do you teach some useful things yeah (laughs) (laughs) so recently your works seem to include a particular pink and purple for the fleshy tones making them even more velvet like tactile and almost malleable was this a conscious decision and do you think it will continue or can you already see it evolving yeah it's definitely these kind of purples and pinks that I'm like very drawn to and it is funny that they become the kind of the skin tone but also I like the idea of them being velvety it does change them it makes them something other than flesh in a way and I think I'll continue that for a while but I feel as well it almost gives the figure itself like an emotion through that color as well and I think these purples and pinks they're kind of quite feminine and I really like I've been embracing that I think purple as well is a really unusual color and I think it's not neglected but I think some people don't really like the color purple (laughs) some people are really not into it (laughs) And <laughs> I think it has quite a strong reaction. Really? I think some people can be in their, like, into it or some people are like, no, <laughs> not for me. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I didn't realise that purple is such a, a controversial colour. Maybe it's not that controversial. Maybe I'm just thinking that. Well, no, if people have said it to you, then you're probably going to be the most knowledgeable person on that front because people do react to your paintings, don't they? And sometimes they just don't have a filter, even in front of the artist. (laughs) (laughs) So I can believe that, that people have said it to you. It's good. 
use it <laughs> yeah it's almost like bruised purple it's like it, mm. maybe you're cold or like you have been cold and then you've warmed up really quickly and your skin goes that really red color ready and purple color where all the blood yeah. is just rushing back to the surface of your skin and it kind of invokes that sense that something else has happened off the canvas that you're not aware of yeah and it just I almost to me it almost builds that story but then like I said it's almost like the skin is like malleable like it could be play-doh and you can push it and move it it gives it this kind of 3d quality that I think if you were using something a more subtle color it just wouldn't have that same tactileness you could almost like push your fingers into the flesh and it would stay that way (laughs) yeah you could leave an imprint yeah or that you could like change the shape of it because I think as well if it was like something that we're very used to seeing as a skin tone then you wouldn't think that you could do that because you'd just be like that's skin (laughs) and it can't change and it can't have that yeah that's really interesting I like that you're welcome thank you (laughs) (laughs) so you said my paintings are often about boundaries and the way that paint crosses a rational boundary of form becoming an abstract color that is more to do with emotion rather than representation of an object and I love this quote I think that viewers often forget that color is evocative of emotion we're so used to seeing technicolor in all parts of our lives that we've almost become desensitized to it how do you combat this Mm, definitely I feel that I am quite sensitive to color and even just what we were talking about purple as well there definitely is these strong emotions for me personally that are associated with certain colors and there is colors that I go back to again and again and in that quote I think is to do with the ability of paint and especially in its color how it can like create form definitely but then also has this ability to like detach from the form and become like a field of color and yeah applying that to like our everyday life I don't know that's hard isn't it because I think we're always being like showing lots of color and we do emotionally respond to it quite quickly so obviously like for Instagram and advertising we're always being bombarded by all these different colors that are doing all these different emotional things to us I think it has a lot to do with how like I build up a painting as I was saying earlier and the breaking down of the form and rebuilding it up as well but also yeah color is like one way that you can really lead the viewer to the points that you want them to go to and especially that we're talking about the skin tone and like that being purple and that change in what you can imagine doing to it I think that's where color becomes really important for me in painting. Mm. I saw you had a solo show with Unit Gallery and Mm. was it on their platform? Yeah it was online platform and you said that you hadn't really used the color white and you used the color white quite a lot in that show I was wondering, is there, are there any other colours that you haven't used or you specifically don't use in your works? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the colour white in that one was a lot to do with... So basically, it took me a long time to like really embrace the fact a lot of my work is to do with my personal life as well. And like they're not completely separate. There could be lots of other themes and lots of other things going into it but my personal life is also very much prevalent in the work and the color white in that series of paintings was mostly to do with the breakdown of my long-term relationship so I think it was a lot to do with the associations with white especially within femininity so like it could be to do with weddings wedding dresses purity all that kind of stuff and it was to do with embracing the colour on my own kind of terms which were no longer just part of this other symbolic 
thing. Colors that I don't use. Let me have a think. You know, I've been not using that many blues, like ultramarines or anything like that. I like turquoise. Yeah, I don't know. There's not like a hard, fast rule, but there's definitely ones that I go to more. And definitely the colour white has like come in a lot more and I think here to stay. Oh, really? <laughs> For a while. Yeah, I think so. I love that. And I love what you were saying about reclaiming the colour white on your own terms, especially a long-term relationship, breaking down, then reclaiming that colour on your own terms. is a really powerful thing to be like, I don't need to save the colour white for my wedding day. Yeah. <laughs> you can wear white every day. Mm, no, exactly. You can just do it all the time. Except from when you go to the park, maybe. <laughs> don't want to get grass stains on your white dress. But, you know, other than that. Yeah. Even then, but then that's a really nice green, so why not? That's very true. It adds character. <laughs> yeah, now you're taking exactly. your painting <laughs> off of the canvas and onto your clothing. <laughs> Love it. Yes. So for me, in your new works, in particular those in your current solo show with us, explore how intimate relationships, those with yourself and with others, shape the perception of our interior and physical landscapes. It's a world of humble ferocity filled with as much desperation and romance as it is with tenderness, melancholy and solitude. Do you agree? And do you find yourself swaying between these emotions when painting? I, I really love that statement as well. I, I feel that that really like sums up a lot. Um, I feel like I don't, maybe, maybe I don't like sway between them too much within maybe like different days, but like, I feel the works in the show are from different times. So they're kind of more, they're like over a longer time period of time so definitely some of them are like to do with with the breakdown of um the relationship I talked about previously and then I think there's some newer ones as well which are more about new relationships and stuff like that so I feel that there is these two different feelings or time periods as well like coming together but that's how we always are we're always like this combination and mess of our past are like present also what we want for the future so I feel like there's lots going on there but yeah I feel like it's definitely a lot to do with positioning yourself within your relationships with other people as well especially in this show mm. a lot of your works tend to focus on like the torso mm -hmm. is there a reason why you chop off all of your women's heads Oh, no. To put it delicately. Not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite a lot of them have. In this show, yeah, they are quite torso-based. And I think that is, maybe it's more bodily. Also, yeah, I didn't think about that too much when I was putting all the work together. Yes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm now thinking about that. Some of them, they don't. Some of them have a head. But some of them, you can see, like, like sword. You can see the lips and the chin. Yeah. But you can't see above that. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of head chopping off in this one. Yeah. And you know what, as well, it's a, I think it's a lot to do with eyes. I think, especially in painting for me, the eyes are, like, so powerful. And so they lead the viewer I wonder what that means if I'm taking that away from the work I think maybe as well it's so like the viewer themselves feels that they can inhibit the body more like not inhibit and um, like it's a feeling of like projecting yourself into the feeling that bodily feeling so I think it's a lot of it is to do with the kind of bodily or feeling of touch which is not as not as idea based so it's not necessarily to do with thought in the same way so I wonder if that's to do with it but yeah I was just I hadn't really fully put that together it's when you see all the work together and you're like this is um yeah <laughs> yeah 
And it's something that I had only just thought of, to be honest, (laughs) as we were talking. It's Mm -hmm. like, hold on a second. I guess also by removing the eyes, because the eyes are very judgmental. Mm -hmm. You're talking to someone and you're making eye contact. A lot of people feel nervous about eye contact. I love eye contact. People tell me off for staring too much. (laughs) (laughs) It's not an intimidating thing. I just love it. Um, But I think that a lot of people feel a bit nervous about eye contact. And especially in painting, like you Mm. say, the eyes lead the viewer. So if they're staring out, it's quite defiant. And it's almost like they're almost judging you and to being like, why are you looking at me? And if they're looking away... It's the confrontation. Yeah. And if they're looking away then you almost feel more comfortable assessing their body and looking at their body and making your own judgments. But if you remove the head altogether, then I feel like that's a different dynamic altogether because Mm -hmm. you don't know where they're looking. You don't know where their eyes are looking off canvas. Are they looking at you? Are they not looking at you? It kind of gives it a bit more of attention, I would say than if you know where they're looking and what they're thinking you're trying to read their face because that's the thing that gives a game away isn't it when you read someone's face you know if they're angry or sad or happy and if you've removed that then you don't know it's not as direct is it it's just not as direct Mm. yeah and I think that that does create a lot of tension as you were saying and I was thinking about as well the one with the kind of window that the figure kind of coming through there is a face behind it but it's like kind of obscure and yeah it is that kind of veiling and I suppose by making it uncertain where the figure is looking to it creates that kind of power imbalance or that dynamic but then also there is that feeling of um what's it called again uh, the word's gone it's gone <laughs> <laughs> I can hear your brain it's, ticking it's, then it, you're like oh too early <laughs> <laughs> hold on a second it's quarter past ten that's Far not early, early. <laughs> bloody artists honestly <laughs> <laughs> voyeurism that's what I was trying to say I was wondering if by by doing that who is voyeuristic in that sense is it the viewer but then it's the figure you're you don't know if you're being observed mm-hmm. as well so it could go either way and generally like those kind of voyeuristic paintings you do see the figure's face and you can kind of like read the whole situation and you can you know what they're thinking they're doing but then maybe this is a way of shielding or not fully giving away what the figure is, is themselves thinking Mm. there's a whole narrative that's almost missing that you have to fill the gaps in as a viewer you have to decide the story you have to decide the the rest of the narrative so like imprint that's a great one yeah you like that one I'm glad I know when you sent it to me you said that, oh it's a bit risky <laughs> it's a little bit risky yeah <laughs> a little. yeah yeah and so that's a great example because you just see a handprint on a bum Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you don't know whether that's a good thing that's a bad thing you don't know the rest of the story because it's all happening you're walking in on that moment of almost straight after impact Mm -hmm. and you don't know the rest of the story yeah it's definitely got that tension there and Mm. I quite like that one as well and I, I feel as well that one's different in the viewpoint I feel like there's a shift in viewpoint within that where that one does feel slightly different because a lot of the figures are forward facing or it's more like kind of torso. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that one, you, you're you definitely a voyeur walking in yeah. on a moment that's usually behind closed doors, though mm-hmm. you definitely feel voyeuristic in that moment, whereas yeah. the others it's almost like you were saying earlier like a theatrical moment that people are performing for you yeah that's it it feels like it yeah it feels different there's definitely a tone shift there and the other thing that I was going to ask you were talking earlier about how your own experiences your own emotions feed into the paintings do you 
consider them to be partly self-portrait or is that just through the act of painting that your emotions are kind of transferred onto the canvas? Um, Yeah, I mean, I suppose I wouldn't necessarily call them self-portraits. I would think of them as building narratives and then like using my, my life or my feelings to expand on that. Because I think sometimes as well, it isn't necessarily just me. I feel like the characters do sometimes are quite different from me or like there's a feeling of a different kind of personality. But yeah, definitely a lot of like projection of myself in there. <laughs> that's that's definitely happening. But yeah, I wouldn't say it's like a straightforward self-portrait a lot of the time. Yeah, it's kind of hard to separate your own emotional state and and the work that you're producing because obviously you're gonna be drawn to different colors I mean when you're feeling different emotions I mean that makes perfect sense especially if it's like intuitive as well we were talking earlier obviously about your intuitiveness when you're painting would you say that most of your paintings are intuitive even you've got lovely watercolor works which I hadn't seen before have you worked with watercolor before Would you say that they're on the same vein, quite intuitive? Yeah. So the watercolours actually, I have worked with before. And uh, that was during the first kind of lockdown in COVID. So I hadn't really worked with watercolours before that, but I had to because I was like suddenly in a very different environment, suddenly not in a studio, didn't have access to a studio, couldn't do oil paint. And I built so much of my identity around being an oil paint artist so I was like oh I'll try some watercolors and see but I was working very small with the watercolors and they were very they're like the size of a playing card that kind of size so I was like making lots and lots and lots and within that is actually how I came to a lot of the motifs that I ended up using for the last couple of years and like a lot of these kind of feather boas were appearing and these fans and a lot of like things being set on fire as well. That happens a lot. But definitely watercolour because there isn't that pressure or that feeling. An image can be built quite quickly and that's quite intuitive. So it's like a different thing instead of it necessarily being about the the brush strokes or the mark making informing the image and creating it from that way it's more like just getting to that step where you can have images coming through quite quickly quite easily and for watercolor that really helps for me more about like image building yeah it must be really refreshing after working with oils for such a long time to work with something much more immediate that's yeah dries quicker oh so nice yeah (laughs) and do you find yourself going between the two mediums I have gone back to oil paint more but like I do the watercolors too those watercolors as well for the show were actually because I had COVID oh really and I couldn't go to the studio as well so those are like very new watercolors but this is probably where there's lots of chains in them dealing with crap (laughs) not being able to leave the house amazing though that you've managed to find this medium that you can do when you're sick or confined so as we touched on earlier you've worked in teeny tiny scale painting the inside of trinket boxes to huge large scale canvases that bigger than you are do you enjoy playing with extreme scale and how do you decide on the size of an artwork and what do you think changes when you paint small versus large? Yeah, painting small is really hard. <laughs> like in a way, it's a lot harder than painting big. Painting big is actually quite nice. There's obviously different problems, but um, I think the scale does inform the subject. And I think quite a lot of the small ones they feel like a lot more intimate and the larger ones feel like a lot more public, I suppose, or maybe more, even more that kind of performing, maybe of that kind of blesque kind of element we we're talking about. Whereas I think in the smaller ones, there can be quieter moments. I don't know, actually some of the bigger ones as well still have that kind of quietness 
and sometimes like a sadness too. Yeah, it is quite intuitive, but definitely I think I want a small painting to have like a big impact as well. Like I want people to go, I want them to like go up to it and then have that same kind of charge as a big painting. Because I think a big painting, sometimes you see it from afar and you there isn't that sense of a reveal in the same way as there is with a smaller one as well. So I quite like that with small painting. Yeah, definitely. I've been thinking about it a lot recently. I've been to a couple of amazing like museum shows, obviously like art fairs. You go into these like huge cavernous spaces and there's huge artwork that hardly anyone's going to have space for yeah. in reality. And it's probably just going to go into storage, even if they do get it. And and like you say, with any extreme size, yeah. there's limitations, there's challenges, difficulties. But what is it with the art world and having these big works that are a monument to what an artist is capable of? I think it's because they're fun to make, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. True. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But can you imagine going into a huge space and there being teeny tiny little works and that you have these incredible intimate moments with? And maybe that's it because there's so many visitors that they expect that people wouldn't be able to have this small intimate moment with. But I would be more impressed almost by seeing a small work and having that emotional connection to it being like drawn in and it's almost discovering a little treasure Mm -hmm. rather than standing halfway across the room looking at something and being like oh right okay (laughs) and then moving on there's like a real obsession in the art world with these big monumental pieces and yeah that's exciting but it's been done a million times show me a really impressive artist that can have that same energy that same enthusiasm and passion in a really tiny little piece yeah because maybe as well it's a lot to do with vying for attention and all these big big paintings are all vying for attention with each other there is something really nice about smaller work but I suppose as well unfortunately it's a lot to do with how the art market is and the art market there's definitely a drive towards bigger work so then maybe that's what is showing and exhibited because that's what sells as well that is also very true because like I suppose that people don't have spaces necessarily for big painting yeah and like there is that kind of domestic and feeling of I think that's actually it I think it's because it's about being taken seriously I think it's these ideas of the big galleries or the big paintings where yeah it's that kind of public idea of art and the smaller pieces in that is like this idea of the private or domestic and that that's probably why as well it's given less of a weight I suppose to it yeah but yeah small paintings are great especially in the liminal gallery that's right which is perfect for it (laughs) well I think my next plan is that I'm going to start a museum with small paintings (laughs) yeah and to show the art world that actually you don't need these big pieces for them to have weight behind. Mm-mm. They can be small as well. Yeah, they can. <laughs> and they can carry just as much weight and importance. Just because they fit into a domestic setting doesn't mean that that's commercial. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So that's my new plan. Fine. I'll come to that. I'll be there. Thanks. I want one of your little <laughs> trinket boxes. I'll have one of those to add into my museum collection. <laughs> Perfect. Right. I don't know how I'm going to fit this into my busy life schedule, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give yourself more work. Why not? Who needs to sleep, eh? Not me. There's much that needs fixing in the art world. And, you know, I'm just here to try and fix it. <laughs> but actually, but your large-scale canvases I'm not taking anything away from them because they are incredible and I need to know do you work on your canvases upright and do you have steps to reach the top Mm. or do you work on on it flat on the floor and you have some kind of pulley system that you are like suspended from because I love that idea 
but I don't think artists actually do that but I would love to see someone doing that (laughs) no unfortunately it's just against the wall up on a chair (laughs) oh you're up on a chair yeah usually on a chair health and safety don't tell anyone (laughs) (laughs) you've just told everyone (laughs) yeah Oh, up on a chair. So is that your uh, height restriction? If you can reach it when you're standing up on a chair, have you gone any taller than that? I do have a ladder, so I could go taller, I suppose. But on a chair seems to work most of the time. We don't recommend this at home, anyone <laughs> listening. <laughs> don't do it. Don't risk your life. <laughs> okay, well, fine. My fantasies of you being strung up on a police system. <laughs> They're all been scuppered. I'm so sorry. I wish that you did that. You know, like um, Catherine Zeta-Jones in that movie with Sean Connery. Have you seen that movie? Where they're trying to rob... I feel like they're trying to rob art, actually. What's it called? Heist. Is it Heist? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if I've seen it. No, I feel like I know it, but I don't. But I can picture it. Like that kind of like coming down from the ceiling. Yeah, exactly. There's like lasers and stuff and she has to do gymnastics to get through the lasers and this particular sequence. And (laughs) then she's brought down on the police system. So I always imagine artists being on a police system, but moving themselves around the painting, which I think would be great fun. It would be good fun. Maybe in my little museum, my museum of small paintings, I can also have a police system that can be rented out by artists. (laughs) (laughs) But to make small paintings? Well, you know, maybe that would be for the mixed paintings for the big museums. (laughs) (laughs) Can't bite the hand that feeds you. So anyway, moving on. (laughs) So how are you finding the art world since graduating from Slade in 2021? Do you have any advice that you would give to artists about to graduate? And what is the best piece of advice you have ever received? So definitely... So that was my MA and that felt very different from graduating as it did in my BA. I think as well, like a lot to do with, it wasn't Instagram when I really graduated from my BA. Very, And I think that changed a lot of things. The main thing that for me uh, from the Slade is, you know, the friends that you make at the Slade and they're also artists and you support each other. So I think, that's really important those kind of friendships that you make because it's it can be a little bit more lonely otherwise and I think that I I mean people do talk about how important that is and I think that is probably the most important thing like build build up each other and like do shows together and you know feed off each other creatively and yeah I think that's that's the most important thing for me with graduating yeah so then it doesn't feel like you're just thrown into the world you're still carrying these people that make dark school the place it is with you yeah I think building up your community is so important Mm -hmm. it's a solitary existence isn't it being an artist yeah and I think as well like just by going to Margate for that day I was like there seems to be a community here and community of artists and that's really nice and I think that is important and I suppose that's why artists are always drawn to places that other artists are in do you have your studio in London yeah yeah it's in London East London is it your own studio space or is it like a communal it's my own studio space but I got a friend down the hall which is nice so I go knock on her door when I'm like help help me (laughs) (laughs) I love that (laughs) and I help her it's nice that you've got a door that you can close so you can close everyone else out and you can just be in your own mind space Mm -hmm. I think that that is really important but yeah also very important to have someone to go to to talk out ideas yeah definitely or if you're just being too much in the painting zone and you're just like I need to see a person right (laughs) yeah so what do you enjoy most about your practice I just love it I just love doing it and there's nothing that I'd rather do than getting up and doing painting 
basically. I like that it can be surprising as well what you do. And I like that I don't necessarily know what it is going to be as well. That's what I really like. It it does feel like, yeah, it challenges and motivates me. That's what I like most about it, I suppose. And what do you find the most frustrating about your practice? Well, you can get frustrated when you are making it. There is points where it doesn't quite click into play. Yeah, I'm trying to think what frustrates me most. Um, yeah, I think definitely when you're trying to do something or you have like or you have like this idea in mind and it just doesn't fall into play. And then even that, you would either figure it out or figure out a way around it. But yeah, there definitely is points where you're like, that's not frustrating actually because that's more challenging <laughs> I don't know what frustrates you most <laughs> that's a good sign <laughs> you don't have anything that frustrates you yeah just challenges <laughs> no there must be something <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me a bit more about your current exhibition at Liminal Gallery yeah so it's smaller scale work which we love and and it's got a few watercolors in it and a few oil paintings which are like not too big yeah I think a lot of it is to do with especially like outlined in the text as well it's to do about relationships we have with other people and how that impacts on how I feel about my own body and my relationships to that and how that changes and how that shifts and I think there is lots of different states of that within the show as well so there's feeling of more like excitement or some of them are sad as well and that messy thing where it's just like being human and all these different things that you can feel that's all my questions so Lindsay Jane McLean thank you so much for joining me today on the liminal gallery podcast it's been such a pleasure talking to you Thank you so much and I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Lindsay Jean McLean's solo exhibition Overside Swords, Chains and Gloves is a third show in Liminal Gallery's new home at 34 Fort Hill in Margate. The exhibition continues until the 22nd of December and will open Thursdays 11 till 4pm, Saturdays 11 till 3pm and outside of these times by appointment. More information can be found on our website, liminal-gallery.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, Louise Fitzjohn. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode featuring Alexis Soul Gray talking about her solo exhibition entitled Dancing in the Dark. Bye for now. (laughs) 